Episode 128, dated Friday the 30th of October 2009, Games and Gamers. You're listening to Digital Cowboys. News, reviews, discussions and uncensored opinions on the world of video games. You're a game company. That's why you make Mario. So if they carry on making a new Mario game, a new Zelda game, the stuff that we've come to rely on, that's all well and good. But the one thing they forgot to show in this conference was anything for that demographic. Move to the next section, you shoot all the guys there, you move to the next section. What other shooter doesn't do this? But it's what they do with the AI to make those shooting sections interesting. I mean, One of the achievements is play it for more than 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) When we do an imitation of a Ponzi Brit, do we sound as bad? Yes. yes. <laughs> I am actually yes. sitting here drinking tea as yeah. we're doing this podcast. Is there a trend in the industry you wish you could do away with? Activision. <laughs> I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Tony Atkins. Welcome to Digital Cowboy, baby. This week, Tony and I are joined by accredited games designer and CEO of Divide by Zero Games, James Portnow. James, it's great to finally have you on the show. It's great to be here. I'm excited about the topic. Indeed. Um... What do you do, by the way, at Divide by Zero? I mean, you know, just give us a little fill us in on who you are. Really, uh, I answer email. That's what I do. <laughs> okay. Um, I actually started Divide by Zero. I was a game designer on the Call of Duty series. Um, I do a lot of writing and speaking publicly in the industry, and through that, uh, ended up raising some money for a new studio, with no idea that uh, running a studio meant. Um, well, running a studio and not developing games. <laughs> ah. um, do you do anything else on the side? Um, yeah, actually, I do a lot of... Uh, I've got another LLC called Rainmaker Games LLC that does a lot of uh, publication of uh, student and amateur games. I feel like right, nice. uh, there's a lot we can do with this medium, and now that you've got all these new distribution methods, be it digital distribution or the iPhone or Facebook or what have you... Um, we can get a lot of these ideas out very cheaply, and you've got a lot of people who are very passionate who are willing to do it, I mean, uncompensated. So if mm. we can get the ideas out there and get them in front of a larger audience so designers can see them, I think that's a great thing. Okay, well, on that note then, what's the game design challenge? Oh, um, the game design challenge is uh, sort of, as I said, it's sort of my passion to be helping um, young game designers enter this field because I feel like uh, we're doing an incredible thing. I mean, for the first time ever in the history of mankind, we're inventing a art form, or at least an entertainment, that's uh, participatory, that the audience actually can react back, which has never happened before. So uh, to help young people sort of get a handle on game design, mm-hmm. I started the Game Design Challenge, which is basically um, I offer some quirky set of constraints to design a game around or a mechanic around and let people sort of pitch at me their ideas every week. Have you actually got any game design examples that have come out from that at all? Um, unfortunately, I can't use any of them, obviously, for legal reasons. Um, uh, I true. can give you some of the examples that have come through. Basically, the best groups that submit and all that sort of thing, I always reach out to them and say, hey, get a group of people together. If you can get some programmers and some artists and send me a demo, um, I will, through my company, through Rainmaker Games, uh, see if we can get it out there, get it at least on the iPhone store or get it on Steam or what have you. Mm. Okay. Okay, and finally, uh, how are you linked to one of our regular and very favorite guests, Daniel Floyd? Daniel Floyd? Yeah. Um, So uh, we do, um, 
I don't know exactly what he calls it these days. Um, uh, talking about these, I think he's probably is the, the name that sticks with the most. The little animated ah. short uh, lectures. Excellent. Um, yes, we do a series of animated shorts about game design because following the same theme of everything else, I guess I'm kind of a one-track sort of guy, but um, I feel like uh, one of the things we need to do is sort of educate the audience, um, bring up the level of the audience's understanding of what we do mm-hmm. so people demand better games because we as an industry won't make better games and people, until people start asking for them. So uh, he and I go about uh, presenting some game design ideas in a pretty, in my opinion, palatable and public way. Yeah, we've um, we've talked about them a lot before on the show. We've had him on three times now. Uh, mm-hmm. We we love Dan. He's awesome, and it's it's great to finally meet the man behind a lot of the words as well. So uh, very welcome to uh, to be on here, James. Thank you very much for coming. Right, and if you like the idea of Scribble Noughts or Brutal Legend, Tony and I will be talking about them in the review section coming up later. Uh, but for the next like say forty minutes or so, we're going to be on our main topic. And the best way to describe what we're going to be talking about is by reading this article by Tynan Sylvester. Uh, Tynan's a designer working with 2K Boston, uh, the team that developed Bioshock. And this is an article he posted on Gamma Sutra a few months ago. It's fairly short and poses an interesting series of questions that we're going to use as a jumping off point for discussion. But it's, you know, it's kind of important to get this one out there and to also credit him with as the source of actually coming up with this debate. So, a new word for game... The word game is just about starting to get outdated. It doesn't fit us anymore and to the point where it is holding us back. When people started calling them games, that's what they were. Simple sets of action, reaction, rules and mechanics. They were defined goals and boundaries, Pong, Gallagher, Space Invaders, all resembled board games and pinball more than novels or films. We've moved on. Games aren't packages of action, reaction rules anymore. Often there is no defined goal, or at least not one as clearly defined as before. Success is no longer measured in abstract points. Doesn't it seem strange that we're still using the same word to describe the Hungry Hungry Hippos and Fallout 3? I love that. Modern games are virtual worlds. Packaged experiences, artificial realities, pre-designed and tuned to produce meaningful, interesting experiences which we can enter and experience at will. It's like stepping into someone else's life at the start of the most important day of their lives. Sometimes the limitations of the universe railroad it towards a single, predetermined outcome. Other times it can go one of many ways or it never ends at all. Like Warcraft. If we had a word for games that combined the connotations of a novel, film, story, and interactive, we'd be free of a lot of wrong connotations among mainstream culture as well. I don't like lugging around the cultural legacy of Space Invaders whenever I try to explain to lay people exactly what I've chosen to spend my life creating. We create interesting lives you can step into at will, not games. None of this is to say that there is anything wrong with true games. They're just not the same thing as Fallout 3 or Pathologic or Fahrenheit or even Flight Simulator. So what should we call them? Role-playing games might make sense, but is acquired in association with collection-based gameplay and numerical character growth. Adventure games seem to have developed a connection to puzzle-solving and third-person control. Interactive fiction implies a text interface. Interactive movie implies the use of full-motion video and long, non-interactive scenes. We need something totally new. Alistair Reynolds called packaged experiences experientials in his Revelation Space series. Or we could use Greek roots. Menograph would be written memory, for example, but that's kind of a mouthful. It's tricky to find new words for something. I'm not going to try to coin one today, but I'm hoping one will appear soon. And perhaps one of you can think of a name that doesn't sound goofy. Now that sounds like a challenge to me. (laughs) So, gentlemen, my questions for you guys tonight are... A. Can we think of a new name for video game? B, do we need one? C, to go with that, is there a better word that might describe someone who's into games than the slightly derogatory-sounding gamer? 
So go. Well, if I can open up, um, I usually refer to what we do, at least as designers, as experience crafting. And I mm-hmm. view these uh, as interactive experiences. I think that the term game is outdated and will become more so as we continue down this path. And mm-hmm. I don't know if experience is too pretentious a term, um, but it seems like that's what these are. Mm. The problem with that is that experiences are something you can have elsewhere. And that, that you say I had an experience on the tube. Um, <laughs> people, it's going to take a lot of, of of actually showing people that word and connect, connecting it with that type of thing people are doing. And people, whatever we choose, it's going it's to take a long time for people to sort of start, you know. Relearning it. I'm, I'm trying to think of any other popular culture. Exactly. Well, I mean, uh, some examples. What would be? What would you be? Per, what would you be called if you're a person that read many books or literature? A uh, bookworm, probably. That's kind of a derogatory. It term. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you were into films. Film buff, which I hate. So then, really, when we come back to gamer, it doesn't sound quite so bad against the world class as maybe the nearest examples. You know, the, hmm. you know media examples film buff is hardly a, a nice term to be used true true but at the same time it books i mean uh, books are not evolving in the same way that games are evolving and films you know really since the invention of color and you know better sound is all we're really getting and there's this uh, little gimmick at the moment that's quite popular called 3d but um in all seriousness games are accelerating far beyond those in terms of how far they've come in recent years uh james well, even for the two terms that you mentioned, um, while I agree that they are the terms that be used, they really are more derogatory terms, and usually they're uh, associated with the person who has an over-fascination with mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. Gamer is really la- a label attached to um, the majority of people who play games, at least a traditional base. Um, it's an interesting question to me about whether or not uh, the Wii mom or whatever falls under gamer these days. Is that how you refer to her? See, when I think gamer, I think um, Daniel must have done something about this. I mean, have you guys... Uh, so something like... Uh, I'm, I'm picturing him saying, when you hear the word gamer, you think of this guy, and there's like that guy holding the, the pad mm-hmm. going, ah! And when I hear the word gamer, that is what I think of. Um, I, 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 I relish the fact that I am one of those, but at the same time, I think that's what a lot of people hear. I, I don't think they're immediately thinking that girl playing Sudoku on the tube is a gamer, or are they? Well, to me, I mean, I think that we have to acknowledge, at least as an industry, mm. that they are. That to us, the audience isn't just uh, what's traditionally called the gamer, the uh, the basement dwelling Cheetos eater. Um, <laughs> but I also feel like, even for people who enjoy those experiences, um, at this point, they're not so esoteric that, uh, or hardcore, I mean, if you look at the Halo fan, the mm-hmm. Halo fan may simultaneously be um, someone who really enjoys Halo and yet sort of the frat house antithesis of um, a lot of what we would consider the gamer stereotype. And so, I mean, I think that we really just have to remove the stigma from gamer. We have to remove that um, that particular image. Yeah. Take back the word, as it were. Yes. Um, Like a racial slur. Hmm. And I I think that's the right way to go about it. I don't think necessarily that gamer isn't the perfect word to describe what we do. I mean, I I do understand that, you know, Hungry Hungry Hippos is very much a game where Fallout 3 
could be argued it's more of an interactive experience than just you know a simple game. Mm. But I, I'm definitely not feeling the need to rename, you know, rebrand what we do. I, I, I think once again it needs to be more awareness of what gamer is. Like say, I think the stereotypical view of that is you know a nerdy teenager, you know, that sits there far too long and. And, uh, you know, eating Chris when he, he probably should be doing, you know, better things or at least a varied things over time. And that really isn't the case now. You know, many people do play games. So, mm, I don't know. That's probably <laughs> continue on with your fault. So, I mean, that would be addressing question B. Do we need one? Um, I mean, th- th- that's ultimately the toughest because that's the we part is is the gamers. As in, do we gamers <laughs> who don't like being called gamers anymore, or, or indeed want to take the word back? Do we need a new word? Because um, it, it doesn't seem like the rest of the world needs another word for us. They're quite happy with gamer, so really we're asking them to change rather than us. Interesting. Well, if I can hop in for a minute, yeah, go for it. I mean, I th- I think that there are a couple of. Um, there's another important perspective, which yeah. is sort of the industry perspective. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting about the term game is uh, specifically how it's used uh, with regard to the industry. A lot of the time, and I think it's part of what's holding us back as far as um, some of the things that could be done with the medium, but often we hide behind the idea that we're just making games. Um, when anything controversial comes up, when any real topics or serious issues come up, especially in the AAA industry, um, the easiest fallback position is, oh, but we're just making games. And so long as we maintain that position as an industry, I don't think you'll be able to break out of that stereotype. Yes. Just okay, a bit of fun, isn't it? But then as a developer, I mean, obviously you, you believe that we are creating. I mean, what is the difference between, as we were class as game, taking the, the basic example of, you know, a board game is kind of almost where the gaming term came from. Where do you think we stand now? If you could just not necessarily, you know, think of a new word, but where do you think we stand now Now as gamers? Is it just interactive entertainment? Would that be a better fit? That was, I was just about to say, Spielberg mentioned that at E3 this year, and if Spielberg said it, it must be true. I, I still think that virtual experiences are the way to go because, I mean, obviously that's a mouthful. We'll never actually uh, use a term like that. Could we say V-E? There we go. Um, (laughs) That may work. Um, 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 uh, I had a bad V-E last night. I mean, you know, people will take a while to get back into that one as well, but yeah. I think any shift will take a while for people to get used to. Uh, For me, the... A reference to experience, what we want to get away from is the idea of um, it being strictly entertainment because that's the problem with the term game. Game is synonymous with something, is it with a pastime, with something that you do mm-hmm. that doesn't really have redeeming value. Um, yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 whole, the notion, the word game makes it sound frivolous, It's and, and the term playing. I mean, you could really be applying yourself and, and really, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm r- r- branching out here at this point. You could be learning a skill. Yeah, I can now play guitar. Um, <laughs> but, like, uh, yeah. no, no, yeah, it, it, it is effectively frivolous entertainment, and yet, I don't know, there, there's this whole sort of sliding scale of acceptability that reading is now the thing that kids are encouraged to do, and yeah, you know, many years ago, books were the stigma that the, the old people didn't like. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's it, it's 
we're looking at this thing on a time scale that's not allowing for people to adapt. We kind of want change now as opposed to something that'll you know, happen very gradually and you know maybe not even in our lifetime. So, I don't know. but uh, I think. We're, we're far enough away from virtual reality's popularity in the early 90s uh, to maybe start using the word virtual again. I don't know. Well, the other interesting thing that I believe will happen over the next decade or two is that a lot of the uh, more positive sides of gaming and the uh, parts of gaming that expand past uh, mere entertainment, things which cannot be argued as strictly entertainment, um, mm-hmm will come to the fore. I actually recently, I was down at DigiPen giving a talk on morality in gaming, and one of the students uh, brought up an interesting point about, I mean, basically this question was sort of, when's our Schindler's List? And Mm. the thing about a film like Schindler's List is, it's not fun, right? We talk about Mm. games as being fun. Mm -hmm. Um, When will the first game that's engaging, but not fun, come to the fore? When we have that already. I think so too. Yeah, I, I actually have. That's not missed. fun at all. <laughs> but um, but, uh, but it's compelling in the same way as Schindler's List. I mean, it doesn't have as deep a, a moral message, and obviously, it gets completely screwed up at the end. But um, I, I see what they're saying. I, ultimately, I think it, it needs to be also handling something that is very serious subject matter that kind of you know grounds you as well. It did disappoint me that we, as an industry, fled from um, Six Days in Fallujah. I don't know if yeah. that would be any good or not, but um, the fact that we backed down from that at the first uh, sign of any commentary, I mean, why can't we have a documentary? Yeah. What What about the medium invalidates uh, a documentary? I, I guess, uh, for me, that kind of more comes down to the fact that, you know, if we are still talking in terms of games, then, you know, the whole point of that that story would, I mean, as much as the stories are as a whole is is a difficult subject to tackle but you will still be act you know participating in a game so you will be, still be killing people um and it was all to do i guess with context of how they were actually going to make that stuff work i mean if it was a game that had a point and proved the point then i think yeah maybe that would have been a really interesting tale to to have told but i think most people had this feeling that it was really just going to be kind of just another run and gun um shooter in which case it probably would have done more damage. Well, what's interesting is that, um, I mean, I talked to some of those guys, and even the way they were marketing it, I mean, they weren't marketing it even as a shooter. They were marketing it as a survival horror game without supernatural elements. Mm. Um, And to me, I mean, uh, perhaps, but I think that most people had that view um, that it was going to be disrespectful because it was a game. If someone announced they were going to do a documentary on Fallujah, um you wouldn't initially have people up in arms that it was going to be a summer action blockbuster. Mm. Black Hawk Down was pretty uh, popular back in its day, though. It was uh, That was a summer one, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean, I think that it was tastefully done, and you really didn't have uh, groups coming out. I mean, the studios didn't can or shelve Black Hawk Down simply because it was about a recent real event. I, I think a lot of that, though, still has to do that that game was well, that that IP was going to be a shooter. I, I think shooters fall foul more more easy, you know, to difficult subjects because ultimately you still the game experience is you know shooting people. Um, you know, I, I think you know, something like Fahrenheit can, has a very intriguing uh, in, or intriguing and interesting storyline, but you know, it's a, a lot slower pace. It's a lot more a puzzle solver. Mm. And I think games more like that has you know, have a better time of, of, of well, heavenly sword coming out. Not heavily sold. Um, 
Heavy rain. Heavy, heavy rain. rain coming out. You know, once again, it's it's more of a slowy place, more of a um, you know, a, a mystery solving experience. True. I, mean, I think it would have been interesting if they released Six Days in Fallujah without medical packs, without a recharge, so that if you got shot, depending on where you got shot, you would start bleeding out, and uh, that you know you could potentially die. That that would make it incredibly tense, and there was it would be uh, you know they would have to have restart chapters maybe, but um, to make a game where you couldn't take damage or any damage you took was actually very serious, would actually really kind of hammer home any serious point they were trying to make about war. It would have had to be handled so carefully, though. And I don't think that uh, anybody was really trusting... Was it Crystal Dynamics? Who who was actually doing it? No, it was Atomic, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't think anyone was really trusting them to be able to pull off something that was tactful, I suppose. It it might... I mean, I grant you that. That's that's a valid point. Um... I wonder if there's anybody who we'd say okay if they said we're coming out with six days in Fallujah. Uh, Properly. I would say Infinity Ward because they don't play fast and loose. The the, the flip side of that is that the Call of Duty movie now in the works is going to be bringing out a fictional war situation in in cinema. So it's going to be interesting to see people rally around that one. But... um, I would trust Affinity Ward. I mean, I there are. I'm not going to talk about any specific studios. I think that there are studios that could pull it off. I don't think that there's any uh, major publisher um, who would. I I do not believe Infinity Ward could go to Activision and say we want to do Six Days in Fallujah, greenlight it, and have them do it. That's then, true. To bring us back on on topic, then is that purely down to the fact that once again we are still caught up in the word gamer um, in in our own minds, even within the industry, we are still referring to these things as games that they have to be enjoyable, and you know something like that well, it's, pushes I mean, it's, the boundaries. It's sort of a vicious cycle because, um, unfortunately, especially for the AAA games, they're so expensive that no one's willing to take the risk to mm. put out the game, which shows that they could be something more. I mean, even Bioshock, they had to search for years for the funding. Um, and I mean, in some ways, the pitch to Bioshock sounds ludicrous. We're going to do a first-person shooter about Ayn Rand? Yeah, good luck. Um, I mean, it turned out great. I think it's incredible that they could do uh, such a fantastic commentary on a philosophical issue um, through the medium of first-person shooter. But that's a big risk. I think it's baby steps as well. There's actually there was a documentary game released this year, which actually did pretty well for itself. Uh, it's possibly going to be my game of the year. Any uh, any takers? Beatles. What are you? Beatles Rock Band. <laughs> it's a true story. It takes you through uh, a, a real situation. Yes, it, it mainly shows you the shiny parts, and there's none of the fighting, which actually did happen. But uh, it's effectively uh, a retelling of something that actually happened, and um. Ultimately, if, if, if we are going to be handling more serious things, we, it, it's, it's much easier to go in that way rather than jumping in the deep end at something which is a hot-button topic that everyone's going to get upset about. If it becomes a bit more ingrained in the public consciousness, oh, hey, we can do games that are actually about you know, real-life facts and maybe some more, I suppose, you know, Africa is, it's, it's like a, a wildlife documentary, but uh, <laughs> not very exciting or popular. But um, the you know it's it's baby steps. Uh, I, in some ways, agree, and in some ways, believe that we have to we have to forge forward that uh, 
while I completely agree with you that The Beatles Rock Band is a fantastic documentary that uh, that will introduce plenty of young people to a piece of music history for the first time and mm. do it well, um, I feel like we're, as an industry, we somebody's going to have to come forward and actually going to take the step, which is the clear delineation. Um, mm. Sooner or later, somebody's just going to have to cross that divide and see what happens. I, I honestly think um, Heavy Rain has this opportunity. I mean, for one, it's a pretty much a triple-A title. Um, certainly, Sony are treating that way, and it's it's an un- I still think it's an un- it's an untested concept of whether you know this more interactive storytelling um, can actually work, and whether it's going to be popular enough for people to actually latch onto it, and for companies to really uh, back these kind of projects. I think it's a massively ambitious uh, attempt by both Sony and um, Who's the studio? Oh, uh, Quantic, Quantic, yeah. Quantic Dream. Yeah, it's a, a very, very big risk by both both those companies. A lot of money, I think, is going to be at stake for that project. Yeah, the fact that it's not disposable, the fact that uh, kind of like my reference, my suggestion for Felucia, that um, you you can your characters can just straight out die, and that you there's no restart point on that one. Um, that stands very well in its favour for making it much more of an immersive experience and making it people taking it more seriously. You know, the I mean, the amount of games out there that you know purport themselves to be serious but just have you hovering over the restart button the, the whole time that it's that kind of makes it a bit cheaper. It's a very bold twist. I'm actually really excited to see that one um, for that and several other reasons. I mean, some of the topics they're dealing with, I think the uh, particular strip scene in it is going to be um, a fascinating thing to witness what it does because, to me, that's the first or one of the first responsible looks at sexuality and perhaps the darker side of sexuality um, that we've seen in games. But overall, from a designer's perspective, uh, just doing the mechanically unthinkable, removing the save, which for years has gone against (laughs) our... um, industry trend of inventing, creating more and more saves, Mm. uh, allowing you to go back to any particular point you want, it'd be really interesting to see how that's received by the audience. Yeah. But, I mean, concepts like that have been out there plenty of times. I mean, there's quite a few games that really have messed around. The saves that, you know, you can't... Quick saves have all but disappeared from from console games, and, you know, checkpoints have kind of taken over that. But, you know, I I still find myself... And this was a classic example in, in Fallout 3, where... I came to a difficult position, and I made made sure before that that I had saved because I was like, well, I don't really want to mess up my character along the way. Um, and you know, as a gamer, I, I guess we just always want to see you know different outcomes. So whether it was just me wanting to take it one particular way or always the good way, I kind of would have played both sections twice to see what the the general outcome was for my character. So although companies can take these bold moves by you know taking out saves entirely, I wonder whether it's actually something that us as gamers actually really want, or whether it well, just scares me to death. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, at least all the design wisdom and all the design writing that I've seen over the last probably half decade um, has reinforced how to make the optimal game experience, let the player play it however they want to play it, which means giving them as much freedom to go back, um, to redo, to get the optimal experience out of it. Um that's why, to me, it's such an interesting step, because while that's become conventional wisdom these days, I wonder if the added immersion 
created by having a character that perhaps become more engaged and that you really care about because their life's as fragile as yours um, is something that will outweigh the frustration that occurs when uh, things don't go the way they want you want them to and you can't change it. That's actually a very good point. Maybe if I was actually not given the option in Fallout, then that game would have been slightly more powerful than you know the the character I created by just basically you know having this save file and you know taking them whichever way I wanted to. If that was completely taken away from me, I know Fallout, uh, Fallout, um, Fable, and Peter Molyneux was talking about that at one stage. You know they we're going to get rid of the saves and it's all about the scars on your body and you know losing powers. Mm. Um, but he you know he eventually kind of didn't follow through with that. So. That's a bold step. It's a very, very bold step. It's, it's definitely my most anticipated game for next year at this point. one double-edged sword to renaming Gamer. Um, the possibility of subdivision, the idea of being a bit more specific about what label you're applying to people. The, uh, you know, If, for example, you play online and only online all the time, you could be maybe uh, labelled a social gamer. Uh, if you're really into your RTSs, strategy gamer, uh, RPGs, you're a role player. The problem with that is that it's still a label, and they're being possibly even them being more specific is even more of a kind of right. You go in that box, and that's that's you pretty much as a person. It's it's kind of like you know finding out what someone does for a living and saying that's what you I mean. It's, it's like me calling you a gardener, Tony. You are nothing more but a gardener, a landscape gardener, which is well, really short-sighted. I, well, I think the thing to me is that the best analog is music. Mm. Um, our idea of a rocker or a metalhead or a goth or rapper, um, they all are musicians and they're all people who like specific types of music, mm. but we do very much delineate. Um, the interesting thing is right now we sort of have arguably an overarching gamer culture. Mm. Um, whether that will fraction into, the, into subcultures like music has – uh, is an interesting question. So long as it doesn't become dismissive, although all labels are most often used to pigeonhole, um, I'm not sure whether or not that'll strengthen those individual genres or take away from the community as a whole. Yeah. There's no definite on that one. Tony, you've gone very quiet. Sorry, did I call you a gardener there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was just kind of moving over my head everything we've, we've talked about on this. And see, most of this comes down to me. I I don't have a problem with the word gamer. I I think you know, to, you know, at least ninety five percent of the industry, pretty much do uh, conform to you know games. You know, they are just you know interactive gaming experiences, which are just you know a fun little things. And I, because we do this podcast, we talked about many times. I want to see you know more interactive experiences that go far beyond mm. just you know a, a fun little game that you you have on the side. Um. But I, I think it more plays to my my insecurities about you know people still seeing this industry as you know nothing more than just a big joke and a big game you know this is something you do to waste time, and I think the game is just nothing really just you know 
heightens that. It doesn't actually prove any any different to uh, the people that are actually saying that. I, I, once again, I, I think it more comes down to it's just time. The industry needs time to develop more organic gaming experiences that aren't just you know hungry, hungry hippo type stuff. Mm. Um, and that over a period of time will just kind of whether you know, they still use the word gamer. Most people that uh, most people would have grown up with different experiences and that can actually kind of understand that gamer is just a generic term like you know film buff or um, music fan or you know bookworm. It's, but no, it's music, just, f- hang on, music fan's not even a word. Someone who likes not, no. music, you do. He, James is right. You do subdivide on that. You can't just go. He's a musicer. It's. Yeah. But I mean, we do that with. But we do that in film. You're, you know, you're a horror fan. You're a action fan. You're a rom com fan. Well, what am I if you're going to talk about film? I mean, what are film you buff, if you're going to talk about yeah, games? Exactly. exactly. We like everything. You know, we like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We cherry pick. We don't. The idea of giving someone a label should be surely if they only like one thing to the exclusion of all else. The idea of you know saying this person's a rocket is if he's walking around dressed like um, Eddie Van Halen. Or I don't know who the who are the kids listening to these days. The rockers. <laughs> uh, I don't know Vince Neil, Axel Rose. I don't know. If there's, there you go. That's have... good. I'm glad we've gotten the kids listening back to the '80s music. <laughs> okay, right. But if you're walking around in tiny, tiny little shorts and a denim jacket, then and you got long hair and jewelry, it, yeah, uh, you know, spiky little bracelets and stuff, and people call you a rocker. It's it's not for no reason. But, you know, if, if all you ever do is play uh, Warcraft all day and night, it's probably, you know, what, what's the slang term for someone who's into WoW? It's interesting because the only place I've actually seen it really come up, well, I've seen FPSer as well, but I've heard lots of people refer to it as MMOers mm. because a single MMO game will take all of your time and yeah. be the game that you play to the exclusion of everything else. Yeah. That's a very specific genre in that one. I mean, I, mean, I think I would imagine you, James, like us, kind of get a decent mix on things. I mean, I probably I, I play a lot less sport than I should. I'm actually in the exact same place. I have to force myself to play sports games because <laughs> academically, as someone who is interested in the craft of design, mm. I try and play as much as I can far enough to understand the mechanics. But man, picking up a Madden is tough for me. We discussed this on a recent podcast. Actually. Okay, then, um, while I'll level it to you two, is like I, I think I'm fine being called a gamer. What actually irritates you about that? You know, why do you not? I mean, certainly you, you, Alex. I know that you hate when people call you a gamer. What really gets underneath your skin because of that term? Actually, it's not so much that. It's when I'm talking to, uh, say, my friend Tom at work. Yeah, how's it going, Tom? Um, about a game specifically, and then some girl walks up and says. Oh, you boys talking about games again, but the note of disgust in her voice. And just, what is it, 1992? Seriously, everyone plays these days. What, I mean, okay, my mum doesn't play, but if I bought her a DS, she probably would. <laughs> um, it, it, it's exactly as you said earlier, that everyone plays games a little bit, at least. We just, you know, we're really into it. Tom's more into the music than the games, but, um, it's not a, a, a label that's leveled at me a lot, but the, the the surprise and disgust when I'm actually really into games enough to actually discuss them in depth to regular folks, I, I could do without, frankly. Well, to me, I mean, it's very close to exactly what you said, except it's not the term gamer per se. It doesn't se. happen at your workplace all that much, though. It doesn't, it doesn't come up <laughs> as much at work. Um, but when I'm explaining what I do... 
it often comes up because I talk to people well outside the industry yeah. and um, as I said, I've devoted my life to this pursuit at this point. And what's worth it to – why would you do that? Mm. Um, and I mean I could go on my short spiel about – where we're going with the medium and how important this medium is. Mm. Um, but rather than that, I mean, it's to me exactly what you said, where people refer to games and gamer as a way to uh, sort of deny the redeeming values of these things. Yes. Nobody uh, says that music doesn't have redeeming values. Nobody says that there aren't quality to be found in books. There's something to be learned about yourself. These are introspective experiences. Um, games are much the same way. I believe that all three of us and probably everyone listening to this podcast has had some experience in a game which has taught them about themselves or how they interact with the world. Mm. That has value and shouldn't be dismissed in that way. Mm. But you can't communicate that to regular people because you can't say, right, sit down for the next 20 hours, we're going to play Metal Gear Solid 3. (laughs) You're going to learn about the 60s, son. Yeah, but see, I, I still think this just comes down to that we are a fairly young industry, and you know, it, it's it's misunderstood by many people. Um, but I mean, even with, I mean, what we've been playing games for probably twenty odd years now, yeah. um, you know, certainly within the last ten years, I've seen a huge shift in um, you know the word gamer and the way that people uh, react to you know the fact that I play games. I mean, it it doesn't always happen. I I still feel embarrassed at certain places saying, you know, what do you do in your spare time? And, you know, you talk about gaming and you get that look. Um, but more often than not now, it's that there is an understanding behind the face of, all right, yeah, well, you know, I've, I've picked up a DS or, you know, I've at least played, you know, one of the Guitar Hero games or something like that. So I think this is more down to just time and understanding what games are. I'm not too sure that, you know, gamer is necessarily preventing, um, you know, further ex- uh, exploration in interactive experiences, something that are very different. You know what? When total strangers ask me about uh, questions that would eventually lead to video games, I start talking about the podcast because that usually wrong foots them because m- a lot of people still don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> and I'd rather have them floundering, not quite sure what I'm talking about and going, oh, internet stuff, uh, 1011001. And I can go, yeah, one little show. It's, uh, it's got quite a good, good community. Love those guys. And um, they get kind of interested and then sort of walk away. Uh, but I, I never get that kind of condescending ass look of oh okay so you go home play video games when you should be spending time with your wife because I don't it's the opposite actually I, I, I snatch the moments when she's away to play games that's all I've got so actually something Tony brought up was I thought really interesting in conjunction with what you said because mm. I mean uh, I've talked to many many gamers who are exactly the same way feel in some ways ashamed of their hobby mm. because of the stigma that's been attached to it Mm. Um, I know many gamers that won't pull out their DS on a subway or on a public bus um, <sighs> because they don't want to look exactly. But they're okay with their iPhones. Um, well, those are much easier to hide that you're playing games. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> but, I'm just email. checking. I'm doing a text. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> the the thing that was interesting to me is I feel like we're just at the point now where the first generation of people who grew up with a console in their home are becoming adults. And yeah. really entering the workforce. And I think that's helping to make that shift. I've, I mean, I think that it's becoming more socially acceptable because people who grew up with these things as a household object, as, as familiar as the TV, are now productive, responsible adults. 
we reached similar conclusions when it came to we yeah. talked to Daniel Cl- uh, Floyd about uh, sex in games, and basically we, you know, my my eventual assertion was that when all the uh, people who think that it's disgusting to have sex in video games are too old to be able to affect things or are dead, then we will finally be able to move on a little bit, and people who've grown up with it will be like, no, nah, it's fine, you know, it's just another form of entertainment or uh, interactive experience, and you know, it, it again. It take, it's a longer time scale than we're able to really get our heads around because we're right in the middle of it. Yep, that sums up for me pretty okay. much. Okay. <laughs> um, any final words then? I mean, you know, uh, do you want to spitball a few, uh, you know, ideas for? Uh, let's see, uh, he, he th- the gauntlet he threw down was uh, it's tricky to find new words for something. Perhaps uh, one of you can think of a name that doesn't sound goofy. Think of a name that doesn't sound goofy uh, for, for gamer. God. I just think you remove it entirely. I don't think there is a name. I think that the idea of a name in general is poor for someone who likes a specific artistic medium. And mm. it's ridiculous. That's true. It's usually a name used by outsiders to describe someone that does something they don't really understand. Interesting. I guess that you say I watched um, what I watched Lord of the Rings yesterday, or you know I listened to. Metallica. So are we basically at the point where we just want to say I played Uncharted 2 this weekend, and there be no connotation as it's a game or whatever. It's just I played. You don't have to put the game context into it. We could say I experienced Uncharted 2 the other day. Yeah, but then you're just being pretentious. I virtually experienced it. It was an interactive, i.e., entertainment. I, how about player? <laughs> He's a player. Dude, I'll be a that player. sounds kind of <laughs> okay. Right. Well, there you go, Tynan. We're all players now. Okay, James, we're going to bid you goodbye. That was a that was great. Thank you very much for coming on, mate. Seriously. Thank you for having me. It was a fascinating discussion. Oh, yeah. Do you want to uh, pimp your uh, company or uh, any particular websites that you want uh, people to go check out? Uh, no, although, as you mentioned, I feel like uh, check out Floyd's videos. They're great. You can find them on YouTube. Um, I believe if you Google my name, you can find them. If you Google Floyd's name, you can find them. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he, and you, he's the one who turns up first when you... Yeah, when you uh, Check out, type in uh, James Portnow on YouTube and Daniel Floyd's one, I think, on Storyline, Telling in Video Games comes up. I'll just double-check that one. Finally, yeah, and that so just puts sex in video games, and then that will come up. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, for anybody who has an interest in design who's listening to it, I, I hope that amuses, entertains, and educates. I <laughs> know, oh, actually, no, much uh, more uh, seemingly uh, educational. Video Games and Choice comes up, followed by Video Games and Learning. Nice. Nice. So that's that's what happens when you type in James Port now. Once again, James, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you come back sometime soon. Thanks. Would love to. Take care. Take care. Gentlemen, welcome to Game Club. This week's games, we got some Beatles DLC, Queen DLC for Rock Band 2, Brutal Legend, and Scribble Nought, so we've got a lot to get through. Um, do you want to hear about the Beatles DLC first? Yeah, a bit of a mashup, but yeah, let's do the, uh, you know, the f- 
was to say the fun stuff and that's like a, a preempting of what the other stuff is going to be but no. <laughs> <laughs> something of a slog it would have the stuff that we know dude okay right um the, the first piece of uh, Beatles rock band DLC uh, sorry let me correct myself the first album of Beatles rock band DLC uh, because the first piece was All You Need Is Love, which is a charity single. It was an excellent song, and I've played it many times already. So, Abbey Road. Now, what do you actually get with this for your, I think it's uh, 1360 Microsoft Space Bucks, right? Which equals what? Uh, £11.50. You could buy this, basically what you get, you've got um, already on the disc, you've got Come Together, Something, Octopus's Garden, I Want You, She's So Heavy, Here Comes the Sun, and the end. That's a sizable chunk of Abbey Road already. That is a fair lot, to be honest. Yeah. But uh, if you buy the DLC, basically, effectively get the other half of the album. You got. Uh, you can buy individually the three singles, Maxwell, Silver Hammer, Oh Darling, and Because, but all of which are good. Um, but the... I suppose the crown jewel in this one is that uh, if you buy the album, you get the medley. You can't separate the medley at all. You've got to buy the album if you want it. But uh, I, I just I wasn't going to quibble on this one because I love Abbey Road. Right. So what, how does the medley play out then? Basically, you can play um, the medley in like blocks of two songs. So if like if you're ch- flicking through tunes you want to play, you can do like. Um, They've like done them in, in pairs, so you could play if you wanted. You never give me your money and Sun King, um, or you can play them in a medley. So if you're going to play through the whole album, you just do you select all of the existing tracks to begin with, all the way up to because, and then you select the medley, and it plays out basically what would be the second side of the vinyl in one go. So for that you get You Never Give Me Your Money, Sun King, Mean Mr. Mustard, Polythene Pam, She Came In Through the Bathroom Window, Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, and Her Majesty. It is very important to note, if you've not heard Abbey Road, this is a large amount of money to be spending on DLC. You might not like it. If you've loved the Beatles rock band so, so far, get it. It's that simple. Don't quibble. Don't think, oh, maybe I should get some uh, some of the tracks you know, individually. Just get it. But I'd suggest first you listen to Abbey Road. <laughs> you know. Uh, it's 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 one of the best albums ever made, and it is it's cracking DLC. I played through the um, we played through it all in one go as an album you know, the other day, me and my wife, and it was really kind of it, there's a real range to it, and you go up and down in various emotions, and, and it changes tempo a lot, and the the whole medley is very Who style, very kind of rock opera, um, and you know I was singing, and it's it's just fantastic. And I, I rate it five stars as DLC. It's Quite a lot of money for what you get, but at the same time, for what you get, it's a bargain. I know it's, it's kind of a contradiction, but yeah. Well, I was going to say that. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Abbey Road, and it's, it's something I've picked up and listened to quite a few uh, times now. But just looking at that, like 880 points for just the medley stuff does seem somewhat of a heavy price. The medley is 14 minutes long end to end, so if you're going to count it in terms of minutes, I mean, that's the same as one Who song. <laughs> Mag- I mean, what? That? I mean, Magic Bus is nearly 10 minutes long, so ultimately, you know, it's. When you talk about value for money, this is the Beatles, so you kind of have to yeah, what goes with it. They're it's very, Abbey Road. Yeah, I, Apple I, are very jealously guarding of this thing. I, I guess. Yeah. I guess the thing for me is that there's already what six songs of Abbey Road on there. I mean, there is well, it's a 17 song album, so you know it just. I, I guess almost pretty much the best songs are already on. Yeah. The Beatles. So really, if you're a big fan of Abbey Road, I'm sure you're going to pick it up anyway. But if you're just like a curious. Passerby who happens to buy Beat or Rock Band, if there is such a thing, you know, there is a hell of a lot of song, great songs from that album that probably will suffice and not necessarily make you go out and buy the album. But yeah. I, I've yet to actually experience it. It's just been a hectic game. We'll play it, I promise. So, 
Yeah. I promise. Um, It'll be interesting to see how the medley runs out. That's one, you know, I think Maxwell Silverhammer I probably would pick up anyway. The so. way I'd put it so far, if in terms of what that Abbey Road, you've got a plate in front of you with some meat on it. If you want the potatoes, vegetables, <laughs> gravy, <laughs> stuff, stuffing, all the extra good stuff that makes it a full meal, you're going to have to pay the price. But it's so worth it. And I'm coming back to this. So, uh, the other bit of DLC that came out last week was uh, Queen's 10-pack. Uh, For that, you get another one bites the dust. Crazy little thing called Love, One Vision, Fat Bottom Girls, I Want It All, I Want to Break Free, Killer Queen, Somebody to Love, Tie Your Mother Down, and Under Pressure. Brilliant, except it came out the same bloody day as Abbey Road. <laughs> I mean, Harmonix made this decision at some point. And they know that I love Queen, they know that I love the Beatles, and of course I'm going to buy them. And, I, you know, that, that was fantastic. We played it all the way through as one big uh, concert uh, as a challenge on uh, Rock Band 2 the other day. Um, I was on lead guitar, doing a bit of Brian May, and Sharon was on bass. Uh, and my God, what a bunch of great songs. Seriously. It's Queen, yeah. The I'm only right. one I wasn't too familiar with is Tie Your Mother Down. And for, the, for that price, I was, you know, it would actually have been cheaper for me to buy it as one big block of ten as opposed to nine. So mm. I think, did Liz miss out three songs? Yeah, I think so. And I think, uh, obviously, Paul, I think he missed out a couple as well. So Again, with regards to Queen, if you like Queen, you know, either pick and choose or just get it all in one big chunk. But to do it in one go all the way through feels very concert-like. It's a really nice package. And I can only hope that there's uh, uh, a Queen rock band track pack too. <laughs> well, I have um, a couple of feelings about this. Mm-hmm. One being, um, oh my God, what the hell of... Um Harmonic's doing with the DLC at the moment is you know, Abbey Road and Queen 10 pack released on the same day and it's just it keeps on getting better and better yeah. so much content is now coming out as DLC of that game it's becoming slightly embarrassing actually for Guitar Hero at this point yeah. it's, it's every week you look and go well I'll buy another five or six songs and then and that you you know conversely you look over at Guitar Hero side and go um, what what are you doing over there? You're just you know average songs over and over again. Yeah. So they must be making some very very good money now because to have Queen DLC as just a standard release DLC pack and not as a like with Singstar Queen, although that was also yeah. released as a pack on. Uh, and also yeah, the, the second point I was going to say this kind of breaks my heart because one of the, the things that I actually said before was if they could do another Pacific you know, yeah. band, rock band game, it would be Queen. Queen would be an absolute fantastic game to do that with such a depth of the story of that band do you want to um, um there's a halfway house which is that lego rock band will have little queen lego dudes yeah i know so you could, it, and if you uh, channel this pack through it you can basically do an 11 song queen concert yeah but this just this just definitely means that there's never going to be a queen rock band because you know people are not going to buy this, the content twice right. so that breaks my heart a little bit but yeah really killing it with the dlc at the moment mm. the other 10 that i would like to see in queen pack 2 uh, bohemian rhapsody bicycle race don't stop me now flash seven seas arrive we are the champions of kind of magic radio gaga the show must go on and I can only imagine so that cheesy. either being saved for Rock Band 3 content, there's got to be a couple in there that would be ideal for that. Mm. Or, like say, they're going to hit us with a track pack 2. Or they're just licensed up to the high heaven. If the Queen <laughs> track pack 1 sells gangbusters, then maybe we'll, we should. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's the DLC this week. Uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and tell me about Brutal Legend, which I played for a good 
three hours or so, and then have not been back to since. Not saying I'm not going to play it, just uh, well, did you, not. You can you can describe your reasons, maybe why, and maybe there's points in the game that you can actually say, "Yep, this is where I actually hit and went." Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Um. But uh. Yeah. I mean, I I've completed it. I've probably spent another five or six hours outside of the completion of the main story mode and actually just you know mucking around doing side quests in the world so uh in a time when i really should be playing many many games i've actually been devoting a hell of a lot of time to brutal legend just a singular one game which has been the well means i've had forza just sitting here a brand new copy of forza sitting here not doing anything which is pretty bad really i mustn't do that once again, Al, it's my problem of getting a game and then feeling I need to 100% everything in that game before I can move on. It's called ponying it. Yeah, it doesn't really work this time of year, I've right. come to find out. I've just got a pile of games now stacking up. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, so Brutal Legend. Oh, God, I mean, this big game, big AAA game, something we've been really waiting for. We saw it at PAX for the first time. Um, played it there. The demo's been out for a while and, you know, a lot of hype about this. And you know, Hell of a back- lot of hype. Hell of a lot of hype, and obviously the background of this game is, you know, it's changed production studios. Mm. So it's it's gone from Activision and the messy, messy breakup, and uh, went out on the open market where EA picked it up and spent a lot of money uh, keeping it afloat, and then you know eventually releasing in a very busy period. And court battles proceeded where Activision sued, and we all know how that kind of ended up. And I think some sort of bung was paid off to just say, look, you know, fine, here we go. So I mean, that's the. <laughs> the setup of this game, which is messy background, but it's Tim Schafer, and we all love Tim Schafer. We do. So, what's it like <laughs> beyond the th- three hours that I played of it? Right. Um, the best way to probably set it up is to talk a little bit about the story, um, you know, some of the acting, and you know, basically what what the game really breaks down to in its individual segments. So, I mean, let's cover the story. Um, you are basically a roadie. Jack Black. I mean, I'm hoping lots of people would have played the demo by now, so they roughly know what the story kind of sets out like. So, mm. you are. A roadie Jet Black who is caught up in this particular thing. A little blood gets into his... Well, there's belt. a particular thing. There's a giant um, a beast attacks a concert and destroys yeah, a bunch yeah. of, uh, you know, uh, tweeny boppers. Tweeny, uh, how rocks tweeny turn out. rockers, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a quite a lot of immediate statement on the way music has gone you know, since the uh, heyday of heavy metal in the 80s. Exactly. Um, and then you're, through this, you are ported back into a, a time period where... Um, Heavy metal doesn't exist, but it's everywhere. It's it's you know it's within the environment. It's underneath the ground. It's, it's the metal out. dimension, basically. Yes. Yeah, it's seeping out of every pore, but they just don't know how to harness this power that metal brings. So it's an epic story of uh, rock, basically. Just heavy think metal. of album covers in the eighties, and you're pretty much there. <laughs> so within this, um, I mean, it features many rock legends such as Ozzy Osbourne, Lenny, uh, Lemmy, Lemmy, um, Rob Halford, Lita Ford. I mean, just it's really, really funny just sitting here playing it and, and seeing the actual talent they've got behind some really massive bands mm. and actually uh, supplying both their voice and their likeness in this in this world, which is pretty good setup. So you're in this metal world, there's there's rock going on, uh, then you, you get a giant axe and you, and you immediately start slashing because it, it immediately becomes like a, a hack and slash em up, right? It does. I mean, the one thing actually to note as well is that there's tons and tons of music on this game. So mm. because it's, it's such a... Um, a homage to just metal and rock. You've got like a hundred tracks, you know, featuring people like Judas Priest doing Painkiller, Dragonfall, Through the Fire and Flames, um, like Kiss doing God of Thunder, Motley Crue, Kickstart My Heart. The list goes on and on and on. Kickstart My Heart's in there. 
Yeah, and Damn. it's you know, fantastic when you're you know racing, racing around the world to kickstart heart. You know all this kind of stuff we really got into thanks to you know rock band and guitar over the years. And, you know it's something but I really got. Into I was rock. always into this. Yes, well, well done to you. <laughs> <laughs> have a bone, you win. I um, have a bone. Just thinking about it. Yes, yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> So going on to that, yeah, I mean, like they just said, the demo actually breaks into uh, what I basically call as the, you know, the third-person action parts. So you, you start off in this world, you're, you're summoned into this world, and uh, you realise that uh, your guitar, i.e. electric guitar, now sprouts electric from it, where you can kill these, you know, demonic bad guys. And fire. And shoot fire. And fire. And basically, you can upgrade it to do many, many different things, but, you know, the basic element is electric guitar now is electric. And you start off this, well, you pick up this big axe, so there's your third-person stuff. So within this world, quite soon, you start to realise, right, so hack-and-slash third-person action game. Yep, I'm down with this. I understand this. The good thing about this world is that it really harnesses um, the rock feeling. This is really a lot of where... So if you, if you imagine there's great big statues with, like, an electric t- guitar, you know, pushing through the earth and, you know, all in big rock formation, and you're just like, that's epic. Or yeah. if you don't go down the coast, coastline instead of, like, the White Cliffs of Dover, you've got these, like, amps all down one side, nice. basically just pushing, you know, banging bass tunes all from them as you're <laughs> driving past them. Um, and just... And basically, the easiest way to describe it is it's a well-set-up, basically, of album covers. Mm. So, I mean, all these epic album covers that we've seen throughout the years have been taken, and the world is all shaped around them. And there's, like, four different, four or five different sections. So there's, like, you kind of got your death metal, your your kind of iron steel metal, and just, your, your, you know, just good old-fashioned rock. And it's, they basically theme different areas around how these different metal areas play. So that's... It's probably the highlight of the game because this world is just so interesting, and with um, you know the music playing out, it's just you really get involved and like, no, I'm I'm a rock star in here. So the world itself is a character. Oh, completely. Like Middle um, Earth before it. Okay. But then quickly from there. But and, then. And this, <laughs> and here we go. This is what so, I've been hearing. Okay. Yeah. So so then obviously so you've got your action and you've got your open world and for most games that probably would have been enough and that probably would have been enough for this game, um, but they. Then kind of throw a bit of a curveball, and you know, we've all known this has been coming just through earlier previews talking about this. But the actual combat, and this all really revolves around boss battles. Um, the story basically takes you from one boss battle to the other. I think there's eight in the game, eight big boss battles, and the boss battles actually are RTS mm-hmm. elements to them. <laughs> And this, I mean, I'll be interested to see how far you got in the game because you obviously experienced the demo, which is very funny. You got. I'm not sure. I never played the demo. I was holding back till I could play the main game to sort of proceed. So, yep, carry on. So then you obviously got onto open world and drove around. Yep. I assume you got into some of the RTS stuff and just got turned yep. off from. Um, it was my first babysitting quest. Uh, someone is uh, carrying someone. No, no spoilers. To somewhere and. Uh, I, I was, you know, running around killing things with my, my dudes in tow. Because basically you get, in a very Overlord style, you get control of a bunch of rockers who sort of hang out for you and be your minions. And you can send them off to kill things or stand, keep them to defend things. Which is a uh, gameplay that I've never liked. Uh, but I thought, okay, I'll give it a chance. And um, basically it, it broke. And it, uh, you know, I was I was off in front and I was killing things. And I came back and the guys, uh, the guy had stopped moving and he was holding this person and going, we're being attacked from behind. And I looked behind and there was nothing. 
And I looked in front, and there was nothing. I looked up and around, and there was nobody. So I went all the way back down the mountain to see if there was anything coming up, and there was nothing. And I came back, and he was being attacked by some dudes who appeared out of nowhere, and then they died, and it was like, great, a babysitting quest. Fuck this. <laughs> and it's, I wasn't, wasn't saying I'm never playing this again. I just, at that point, I couldn't muster any energy for it. Because if it had just been me, you know, f- fending people off, that's fine. But I had to, you know, sending people off to defend things. You know, I, I'm well, very, okay. you know, self-sufficient let, and independent. I can't really rely on other people. Let me describe this to the people who haven't. Because although I say an RTS, that could mean absolutely bloody anything. Uh, you know, the genre is huge. In fact, we've, we've been stuff. scolded for suggesting yes, a turn-based uh, strategy and RTS are the same thing. They're yes. not... CR episode a few weeks ago when the <laughs> RTS debate I, I knew would cause boredom you know, and it, yeah, yeah. bloody well did. Um, so right, so basically what these battles are. So like I said, they are boss battles. You're you know, you're against these you know, these big guys and your aim is to defeat them. And the way they set it up is that because this is a completely and utterly rock based world, um, the boss battles are basically concerts so two stages are built either side of the map um you know they can be fairly square on from each other or round corners and you know hilly ground that you know are vantage points how um, far in between usually i mean luckily they can be pretty close or pretty far apart right. so you know okay. different different tactics and, and certainly like i say these different themed areas lead to different you know environments so you know if you're doing it within like the snowy mountain areas then you know there's normally a mountain in between you if you're doing it in you know the flat plain areas of the first part of the game and so it's basically yeah, baby steps from each one um and they work like this you have geysers in these grounds and if you build these uh, uh like a, a fan merchandise around these geysers that's basically your um currency that you know once you built this fan merchandise all this stuff goes back to your stage all these fans basically flood into your stage and that's your continu- continuing currency to do other stuff so such as the troops you can buy are like headbangers so they literally all they know to do is bang their heads and so you can buy headbangers you can buy uh roadies you can buy bouncers who basically have huge you know do really big damage you know, by smashing it into the ground you can you know, the roadies have great big speaker amps on the back of on their backs and you can take those into into battles and they're fantastic for taking out um vehicles because you know the, basically the, the power of the speakers you know send a shockwave and, and break down vehicles and also kill the other stage uh-huh. so Right, yeah, okay, so, is so far, so, but the interesting about the stuff that is, I really find it quite funny because it's actually themed within all this rock stuff. So it's like, it's, it keeps within the context of the, of the world very, you know, very, very tightly. So that works really well. And of course, the other, you know, there's, I mean, that's Ironside, there's, there's two other different factions that have completely different stuff that, you know, it's basically a rock, paper, scissors scenario. Um, within this, as Eddie, you can fly up into the air. And you can survey the battleground and send your troops obviously to capture more geysers or you know set up a front line to to stop you know their troops from taking over your geysers. It's basically that simple. It's an RTS. As well as that, you can actually take Eddie and fly back down to the ground amongst your troops, and you can do different rock solos. So such as um, if you do a rock solo that um, makes your troops twice as powerful, um, and that's basically the so buff. Buffs, yeah. Yeah, buff. So you can do a button combination, which comes up on the screen. It, you know, it's basically Eddie Riggs rocking out on a guitar, um, and you've got to basically hit A, X, X, Y, A, A, whatever the the solo con- contains that buff is. Um, so it adds a bit more kind of tactical element there as well. 
Um, also, there's the one of my favourite one is the the face melter. You pull off this guitar solo, and if they're normally just infantry, their face start melting in front of you. Uh, and also the, nice. the the highlight of that of the guitar solos is basically you can call a Led Zeppelin in. And, uh, <laughs> this big Zeppelin comes down. It's a real complex solo, but comes down and basically smashes down on the ground, causing oh, the humanity. Utter, yeah, utter utter devastation. But it's you know all completely in context and, and humorous. What I found was that with this RTS element, it's very, very different from what most people were coming into this game. If you played this demo, if you played the demo, it tells you nothing about this. I mean, you would be coming into this game expecting that you're going to be playing a third-person action game, and you wouldn't be wrong in thinking that because the demo basically leads everyone on saying, "Look, this is what this game is." Um, and ultimately, to get any of the story context stuff, you have to play these RTS battles. You have to play these boss battles. So now. What I found was I really didn't like this. I I was it almost felt like I was being sold a product that was you know being fakely advertised. Um, but I decided just to you know pull up my old trousers and go no fine look I'm not you know I I knew this stuff was going to happen. I didn't quite expect it to happen quite so soon. So I'm going to learn this stuff. And they actually introduce you really slowly into to really you know how each individual unit works and it's, it's quite easy at the start. But there's a a battle halfway through the absolutely kicked my ass over and over again i think i tried that battle like four times oh. and i think what they, they're trying to say look you know if you do not get this at this point don't bother playing because it's only going to get you know incrementally harder as you if you go along so it's like you're either going to have to learn the mechanics on this battle or just give up and instead of just giving up, I decided, no, right, I'm, I'm gonna actually going to learn how each one of these units actually, you know, is the rock, paper, scissors. Something I've never really been fantastically interested in doing. So I got over the hump. And I, overall, I'm glad I did because some of the later battles are actually really interesting. I, I quite enjoyed the, you know, strategic elements of it. But one of the reasons that I, I actually think most new people will, will really have a hard time with this RTS stuff, and even people that are used to RTS, is that the control system here still doesn't work. I mean, for mm. years we've still been trying to, you know, shove RTS um, down, you know, console people's throats, and no one's really come up with the control system that actually allows players to actually, you know, do what is quick and easy on the mouse click. But you know, it, it's all assigned to the D-pad basically, um, and. The biggest problem really with it is that you can't really send, get your troops to do what exactly you want. Okay, it, it's easy to grab a group of troops and say, right, go and attack that geyser over there and defend it. But it's really hard to taste, basically take three or four of, you know, say headbangers just to say, right, you go and guard that over there. You go and stand here and I'll take this other group of infantry and over there. That's almost impossible. So what eventually actually really happens is that you just build a lot of the units that you know will be quite powerful. You upgrade your stage so it's, it's actually quite powerful. And then you just kind of send them into the fray and hope for the best. And once they've all died, you, you know, do it again. Mm. And hope, you know, a lot of the battles I feel like I just, you know, I was quicker at building better troops than the, you know, the opponent AI. And, you know, occasionally it was pure blind luck that I managed to take down their stage before they took down mine. Sometimes, not always. I mean, there was definitely elements where I was like, no, right, I need headbangers at this point, or I need, you know, my roadie guys, or I need this vehicle because that's the only way I'm going to get past this bridge section. Yeah. Um, so I don't really know how to advise people to approach this because I think if you love the demo, that's not the game. The game is this RTS stuff, and I think if you can get over the hump 
of um, the slightly broken controls, then there's a really worthwhile game sitting in here. It has got problems. The way I actually described this to somebody was, if Tim Schafer wasn't making this game, then this game wouldn't be made. Because somebody would have stepped in and said, look, you know, this this whole rock opera kind of idea of a game will appeal to this kind of demographic of people mm. who probably I mean I don't want to label you know the rockers out there but probably aren't massive RTS fans you get it and so it, but there's you know, a very slim intersection of the two demographics yeah I mean RTS is a very close-knit community anyway and, and the RTS element this they try so hard to kind of bring in new players um, but at the same time, don't do enough to kind of make the, the veteran RTS players really give them anything in return. So, mm. so it kind of sits well with no one then. Yeah, and the, the really interesting thing is it, the whole single player stuff, apart from telling you the story, which by the way is epic and uh, well worth sitting, you know, well worth battling for all the hours of it, I'm not really into an RTS stuff to actually see because it basically tells the story That's from a where. That's statement to make. I got to well, say. Yeah, well, it, it basically tells the, the story where Rock, how Rock began in the world and how eventually it, it seeped to the, un, the universe that we lived and how it's going to seep back out and kind of do other stuff within the world. So it's actually kind of cool. And the character's really likable. Eddie Riggs, played by Jack Black, is really, really entertaining. Um, I mean, he actually reigns, reigns in the Jack Black humour, which is something I didn't think anybody would actually be able to achieve outside of a Pitch school Jackson. of rock. Yeah, it's, it's more kind of a school of rock humour. Well, they, um, they, they, they don't rein him in that much. That he is the most Jack Black in School of Rock, as far as I'm concerned. It's just that he's being channeled very well by Richard Linklater, so he doesn't go completely off the rails, and he's always funny and at some t- points rather touching because he cares so much about this. But so, yeah, um, I mean, I unfortunately, I, I played um, Uncharted two before playing this because yeah, me too. You know, the character acting in that was you know incredible, and this is like a a tier below that, but that's still like. 12 tiers above pretty much everything else out there mm. so it's, it's a real I mean Uncharted 2 is an almost impossible game to follow I'd, I'd imagine certainly you know, it doesn't have RTS elements but you know it's still third person action adventure mm. um, so I would say stick with it I would say Alex give it a second chance I will I mean, go back just, to it uh, in the new learn, year when I've got more time yeah learn the RTS uh, elements and that actually it's given me somewhat of a newfound interest of RTS games because you know it's, it's eased me into it I just it, this, it just doesn't work so so fantastically well on the console. Um, other criticisms really are. I mean, there's some real bad frame rate issues. Um, you know, there's some epic stuff in this world. And sometimes, if you're driving too fast, um, it will really slow down to a crawl. Um, a lot of the side quests become really repetitive. So it's okay, like doing two racing missions, but when you're required to do five or well, on that like ten racing missions, it kind of gets a bit boring. Same as you know, defend a point. All right, doing it once or twice, but you know, I think twelve times, not quite so funny. Mm. Um, and they're all very, very samey. There's about four different sets of missions that aren't following the kind of same old. Um, side quests that are actually really hu- humorous and funny uh, and I think if they had taken the RTS ele- elements out of this game and actually tried, just looked at the open world then they really would have concentrated on more on that. As it is, I don't think Tim Schafer's humour comes through fantastically well in the end of this product. It kind of slows up towards the end. But like I say I completed the RTS stuff, I enjoyed the storyline, I then spent a further six to seven hours 
in the actual main game world doing the side quests and picking up you know uh, some of the legend stuff and yeah basically you know mopping up some of the achievements and also if you have had a good uh, time with the rts stuff the multiplayer it almost feels like the whole game that you've been playing thus far was designed for you to play the multiplayer because the multiplayer is really really in depth you basically have um three factions the iron head the drowning doom and the tainted coil and they all play completely different and com- have completely different accent uh assets and a lot of that stuff you've never played multiplayer uh, you wouldn't see half the actual uh, interest and stuff each unit can actually produce so um i'm a bit caught cool, really what to give this as a score because you know it, it really does come down to whether you can hack um the rts elements and hopefully i've explained enough that um if you give it enough time it will teach you how to actually uh, maneuver this stuff but mm. boy does it make you work for the story because if you're not interested in that, then I think the rock, the rock setting, the the open world stuff, um, is very very interesting, and you can spend probably 20 hours just doing all that stuff without having to touch the main storyline. But then, what is the point of that? Um, because you know the, the story is definitely worth worth digging into. So, me personally, um, I was jumping between a three and a four. Um, I think after playing it for probably now getting on for 15 to 20 hours, I'm probably going to settle on a four. Um, just for my personal taste, just, just because I love the rock setting and I think a lot of the story elements and the voice acting, the action is really, really good. But if you're not into RTS stuff and that just turns, I can just see some people now going, oh, I just do not care. I think obviously, with that in mind, if you do not care, probably best just to avoid it altogether. Um, so, yeah, I, I've i had a good time of it, but I can see why others have complained. And, yes, I agree with all the uh, the potentials out there. There should have been a jump button. That's what it was. <laughs> really? It would actually have helped with evasion? Um, because the, you, you spend so much time exploring this open world, um, occasionally you'll, you'll go down into a ravine that maybe you shouldn't have done. And then you're required to kind of basically walk like five minutes down like one one side of this or one side of that just to get out what would be the first open gap where a simple jump jump button would have meant that you could have just oh, over the this thing's going to try my patience if I get back to it. But it's it is well worth trying your patience for it. Like I said, I don't I know you're not a big fan of RTS, but this actually may be one that actually gently guides you into it but at the same time having a broken control system so it doesn't do itself any favours but <laughs> Brutal Legend out of I five think it rocks. four out of five I think oh, it rocks okay. not for everybody though right let me just quickly do scribble noughts and then we'll get out of here um okay there's been a lot of hype about scribble noughts similar in fact to Brutal Something. Legend everyone was going oh my god this game's going to be fantastic we'd not even heard of it until like earlier this year and suddenly everyone at was it E3 or something E3, yeah. yeah started playing it and going this is incredible the idea is you got a little guy and he has to solve various puzzles and do action situations to get a star right and uh, to do that you can call up any object any noun uh by typing it in or writing it with the stylus example yes example uh, if you want to write if you want to bring god into the world you bring <laughs> you know just type in god and he's there you you start add, small on the start screen basically you can fiddle around with it and do whatever so um you know it's the it's the only game i've ever been able to have two terrified atheists running away from god even though they've got cutlasses and god's you know standing there with a machine gun and um so then you know i, I 
killed the atheist with a dragon, took one of their cutlasses, and just gave God a gentle prod. Ooh, he was pissed. Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, literally, in this case, God's charging after me with a machine gun shooting at me. I had to create a hole to drop him into, um, and that, that did deal with him, even though he is technically omniscient, so uh, he should be able to, you know... So he's not a merciful out. God, as we've been left to believe. But what I've just described there, you would not find in any other game, because I just created that myself. There is something very, very, very unique and fantastic about this game. It's also shit. It's amazing. It's like it's like they've given you, you know, the, the tastiest sandwich in the world, but right in the middle of it, underneath the piece of bacon, there's a, just a little cat turd. And, you know, it's 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 a little cat Ooh, turd. No, see, see, for me, if it was just a piece of mould on the corner of that bread, doesn't matter. It's going in the bin. This is a metaphor, but okay. Yeah. Um, here's why. Okay, the title screen, great, great fun. You can mess around, but you know, put Cth- yeah, everyone always mentions Cthulhu, so that means everyone's always going to be bringing it up. And um, so yeah, you can you can put pitch warm- zombies against werewolves. I mean, um, I think Edge said something along the lines of, uh, you know, "It's a shame that uh, the game's going to be used mainly for interspecies death matches." And um, <laughs> and yeah, you can you can mess around. Then you actually get to the main bits. And there's two kinds of levels. There's an action level and there's a puzzle level. Now, there is a big divide here. Puzzle levels, it's things like, it just says trick or treat. And you're standing outside your house and three girls run along with, um, you know, uh, bags. Now, uh, I first off just typed in candy, chucked it in a bag, got a star wipe. Brilliant. Easy. Uh, there's a challenge mode where basically you go back into the level, level and you have to do the same thing and get the star wipe in three different ways without repeating using the same objects so i thought right trick or treat um candy bar yep that works um chocolate bar yeah that works okay well let's really mess with this one trick cthulhu and cthulhu appeared out of thin air and they went ah and ran away trick so the star appeared uh then i chucked a vampire in the vampire killed the girls but then the girls became vampires and came after me so they killed me before i could even get to the star right although the star did appear because it was technically a trick yeah, but see now that sounds fantastic that is that's something i've never done in a game i love that however there's always a rub there is a however there's always it. an rts element isn't it <laughs> this game is divided into three sections 30 percent of bits like i've just described where you're like that's brilliant like another example, my wife was puzzled over one where it was like there was a cow blocking a bunch of traffic, and you have to—it just says get him back home. And I thought, me, the cow, and so I jumped to the back end of the traffic, and um, you know, I, I t- you know, I gave her as many hints as I could, and eventually I just said twister, honey, and and then I typed in uh, tornado, and the tornado sucked the cow up, the traffic drove on, and the uh, star turned up, and she went, I've never thought of that. Um, it's you brilliant. Just put shepherd. You probably could. But that's the thing. There's many different things. Right. 30% of the game is that. 10% of the game is this, the action levels. You've got to get a guy up a mountain to, uh, to, you know, because he's broken his leg or something like that. I attach wings to myself. I attach a rope to myself. I try to attach a rope to the guy. There's four little green points around his body that you can attach the rope to. Unfortunately... He's so close to me that it keeps getting confused and thinking I'm trying to attach it to myself or his campfire or his tent. And I have to wrestle with the game using a stylus that appears to be bigger than the, bigger than the characters I'm <laughs> aiming for just to get that. And then I, you know, after, after about 10 minutes of throwing him and, you know, eventually getting a helicopter, flying up, then flying back down, trying to get 
the rope onto him and jumping out of the helicopter because every time you move the stylus, it says, oh, you want to move over there? No, 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 I'm just touching the... Oh, for God's sake. Because, and this has happened in every review, everyone always says, why the hell do, can't you move your guy with the directional buttons? There's no reason not to. There's no reason not to. You, you press up, down, left, right on the A, B, C, and whatever the face buttons are on the right. And, you know, you should maybe use the uh, shoulder buttons to jump. And you, you should be able to move your guy with the D-pad. If this were on the Xbox 360, they'd have patched it already. It's do, do you think the thing is, ironically, what they were trying to do was make it user-friendly just by, like, oh, you only need to touch him. Just touch oh, him there. You don't have to bother anything. They completely screwed themselves. Yeah. Next, get, there's going to be a Scribble Nauts 2. When it is, it will have D-pad controls. I would frankly buy a Scribble... If they just were in Scribble Nauts version 2.0, where it's the same game, but with D-pad controls, I'd buy it. Because that would deal with a hell of a lot of this, these problems. Like I said, it's only really 10%. There's only really some times when I'm like, oh, for God's sake, stupid game. And, like, you know, there was a bit where I'd done a really meticulously put a level together, and then I touched... Uh, um, I was, like, trying to shoot at a wolf. And then he jumped off the cliff onto the wolf, because I was pointing at the wolf. And it's like... Why would I ever tell you to jump off the cliff onto the wolf, you numpty? Yeah, I've heard similar stories with, say, people set up a, a bridge, you know, to go over a lake or whatever, yep. and it's taken them 20 minutes to set up this bridge with boxes and then a donkey for it to jump yeah. on and, the, and then or, the sheep and, or, and whatever, and then just one touch into 20 minutes worth of work, the guy runs into the bridge, the bridge falls down, the whole lot collapses around yep. him, and then the guy just stands there and goes, well, what, what, how do I mind to get past the water? And you're like, just walk. Or there's moments where, um, like, you know, there's a giant gap and you type in bridge and the bridge is so is like comedy small. And you, <laughs> you put in giant bridge and it gives you another small bridge. I put in, because these wolves were kept savaging me, I put in um, a wolf costume because I thought, ah, oh, I'll, I'll pretend to be one of them. And it gave me a small green tank top. What does that even mean on any level? There are substitutions in this game that don't make any sense. I typed in switch and got a small knife. Like switch knives. It's wrong, but yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, so there's that. And then there's, the, like you said, with the, with the bridge thing, There was the, I had a, a, a dude wandering towards the edge of a cliff, and I put some land there in his way, and he stood just, on, just next to the land and went, I don't know what to do. Like he couldn't move forwards anymore. Um, and, and then, you know, so I tried to drag him across, and um, I, I upset the land, and he toppled into the, the, the lava, and it just retarded. Okay, so okay, that's, well, that's only 10% of the game, but that leaves 70% of the game. And let me tell you what that 70% is. Wings, rope. Get this dude over here. Get this thing over here. You make your wings, or if you want a jetpack, you attach a rope to yourself and then to that thing, and you just fly over some obstacles and deal with them with a shark or something like that. It's just the same thing over yeah, but and over. Sure, surely then that comes down to the creative user that you know they don't. You wouldn't have to necessarily always use ring, well, wings and rope. You can come up with some sort of alternative. Your alternatives it- invariably do not work. Fire extinguishers won't put out fires. A wolf costume turns into a green vest. Any attempt to be uh, clever on the action levels results in failure. It's All right, so basically what you're puzzle saying games, is... Puzzle sections, yes, you can be quite creative, but uh, there's certain levels where creativity, not rewarded. It just goes, I'm not, I'm not sure what you mean. Like, uh, a girl, it, it was one saying, uh, this girl wants her favourite candy from a vending machine. So I just typed in vending machine, pulled out a candy bar, gave it to her, and it went, nah, that doesn't count. It was like, what?! 
So apparently I had to uh, get rid of the bully. The only I ended, ended up doing that one by accident. I, I threw a chicken at the bully. The bully killed the chicken and then ate the chicken, and then we snuck past him very, very quickly. But I don't think that was what exactly what was supposed to happen. <laughs> but where, why, when, when in real life would a bully kill and eat a live chicken? Oh, right. That doesn't make so, any sense at all. So what I'm getting from you is that the title screen mode where you just make up shit to throw at shit, you know, vampire versus god to see who wins yep. is a hell of a fun because you can just, you know, basically settle those childhood arguments, you know. And who would win, around. vampire versus zombie? But it doesn't always, but, it's not always exactly the same. Like I sent up a tiger against a dragon and uh, it beat it first time. Then I did it again and, and the dragon killed the tiger. So it's like, it seems at random sometimes. But the story mode is broken in two ways. One, it's easy to just, you know, bypass most of the stuff with, you know, two elements of, what, rope and... Rope and wings. Rope and wings, or jetpack, whatever. And the... It's only because you know those are going to work, and it's it's kind of this... <sighs> soul deadening but it's it's not you choose to do it this is this follows you know hours of trying to do different things and realizing you know what it's just going to be quicker if it works like this i feel like i'm repeating what they said yeah, but that. doesn't that all you know but doesn't that all come back down to just the controls themselves because in the end of the day it's just easier to get a rope and wings and fly over this stuff rather than make a trampoline that goes onto a box that then an elephant you know pushes you up in the air with a snout yeah. all that stuff is possible but after 20 minutes, it's probably going to break, and it's easier just to say, yeah, just fly over there, whatever. I don't think the physics works in the way you think it actually works. You can't actually coax things onto springs and bounce them around the place. It's it's almost like you have to force them and push mm. them to where they need to go. Everything is so stupid. I, I've seen plenty of gameplay videos, and I've, I've, and basically everyone seems to have the same problem. I think some people have overlooked that, you know, yeah, okay, that's just the way that, you know, the game's slightly broken. You get over it. But the majority of people just, by the sounds of it, say, look, if you give me the direct control over the you know, little dude, it would have fixed 90% of the problems. Maybe not all of them. No, Maybe I mean, not, the screen you know, is too small to do, for, for fine control sometimes. And, you know, ultimately, it doesn't understand that you have to get the rope to a certain place on the helicopter or it thinks you're trying to give the rope to the helicopter and it goes, I'm not sure what you're doing. Whereas it should just go, well, obviously, he wants to attach okay, well, the rope to the helicopter. So, so does this just feel like it's a proof of concept from a company yeah. that, you know, it's just like this okay, game, well, it's fantastic yeah. idea, but not enough money to put it into a full production the way that, you know, we would all love to see it. This game would have benefited from a smaller uh, library of words and about six months to a year of extra development and then really working up the controls so that it was just fun, 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 fun. <laughs> Welcome to Scribblenauts 2 in that case. Yeah. Scribblenauts 2 is going to be awesome, I can tell you right now. This one, purely because of its innovation, I'm going to give it a four. Even though I've, I've moaned about it, the, 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 it's actually anger that the game was almost brilliant. It's, it has flashes of brilliance, but it was almost riven with brilliance. Do you know what I mean? You see, yeah, it's very, it's very the same with Brutal Legend for me. It's, it's so close, but just falls, you know, trips over. It's, it's yeah. initial concept, concept is so complex that you know too many elements just destroy it in the end. Yeah. So, okay, well, do you? I mean, it's something I've been looking maybe from picking up. You know, should I just rent it then and just enjoy the total screen? I recommend you rent it. Um, okay. And no, no, do play it properly because there are moments when you're just like, that's brilliant. That, but there are, again, moments that where, when something goes wrong and you win after you've been trying your absolute best to do things with, you know, practicality and sense in mind. Like, I, I was trying to, um, you know, carefully get someone underneath some storm clouds without them getting hit by lightning. And no matter what I did, they kept getting killed. And eventually a tornado that I was trying to use fell on its side and blew them across. 
it wasn't supposed to do that, but it... See, so it, stuff it, like that, I'm like, I'm bringing a smile to my face. I'm like, that's cool. That's wicked. But this is after so much, like, why mm. won't you bloody work? You know? So, I don't know. Okay. It's, it is not without its flaws, but at the same, it's, it's got such flashes of brilliance. So, I don't know. And it also, it, it, it's got what you bring to it. If you've got a, a vocabulary of about a hundred words, you're gonna hate this game. <laughs> um, but you know, if, if, if you can bring stuff like Chipotle out of nowhere, then, uh, yeah, you, you might enjoy this. This doesn't have, by the way, any licensed stuff, does it? So I can't bring in Master Chief against... Uh, you know, Sharon's Kratos. first thing she entered yeah. was Master Chief, and she said, yes, he is in the game. And I went, no, that's just a soldier. That's a Master Chief, a not Chief. the uh, Master Chief. Uh, oh, well. But, um, no, no, it's there are plenty of, of things in there that will, will get you thinking and get you going, ah, oh, that's awesome. So, basically, if you come over next week, like you were mentioning about uh, DJ Hero, I'll still have it, because uh, I'm going to get to the bottom of this one, and my wife's doing it as well. That's the reason I sent back Brutal Legend, actually, was because I have to get Grand Theft Auto this Friday, and I, if I send back Scribblenauts, I lose all my saves. So, uh, keeping that until... Ah, uh, that is the only problem renting yeah. uh, DS games, it's just you know, the hard save. Oh. Yeah, screw the hard save. Anyway, um, so I recommended. I think this is going to rock it down in price because uh, of the the massive amounts of disappointment. If it's fourteen pounds, pick this up. I'll say that right now. Yeah, that's much the same as me. I, I'm really, I really want to buy Brutal Legends, but it's just not. It's not a forty pound game. And you know, I, knowing the way that Christmas works, come the new year, this will be in a two for forty sale. Yeah, and that will be a better, a better suited price for you know. Uncharted Two, on the other hand. Well, buy it, <laughs> buy it right now, buy it. <laughs> okay. If you like this podcast, why not listen to our big sister show, which goes by the name of Game Hounds. Each episode, your erstwhile host, Edie Sellers, is joined by either Cooper Hawks or Commander Tim, and they go through the week's news in gaming and what they've been playing like hungry Alsatians in a sausage factory. You'll get their winning blend of insight, gaming knowledge, and ferocious humor. And you may just end up yelling at your iPod in disagreement, but you'll be back for more next week because they're just so freaking special. Game Hounds, a proud member of Platform Nation. That's all from us this week. Many thanks to our two iTunes reviewers, one on either side of the Atlantic. From Britain, we have Stimpy. And from the USA, Todd Ginky. Uh, that puts our totals up to 39 to 33 to the UK. At least we had a draw this week. The US didn't lose. 1v1. Remember, if you're in the UK and we hit 50 first, I will make a totally random selection from the 50 and announce you the winner on that week's show. Now, Chris O'Regan of Super Happy Fun Time Show astutely pointed out that we can't contact you through iTunes. Fortunately, most of our reviewers are already on our forums. If you're not on our forums, then register before the draw or you may be ineligible because I don't want it to be a case of I'm Spartacus. You know. Uh, the same goes for the USA or Team Tony, as I like to call it. <laughs> or Team Lose. <laughs> no, no, no. USA, they're number one. They're going to beat the UK. I, I can feel it somewhere. Come on, USA. Okay, uh, and also, do, do you want to do the next bit? Yeah, we, uh, we, we've had some complaints that we're not uh, giving love to our Australian liz- listeners, and uh, we know of two, and checking out the iTunes review, we have to say big thank yous to Super Slug. And is it Surgeon Axeman? Sain, uh, Sain, 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 Sain
Okay, so we have to say uh, two big thank yous to Saeed, Axeman and Super Slug, uh, our wonderful Australian listeners. And uh, by all means, if Australia gets to 50 reviews, we will send some <laughs> to you. We need um, uh, just 48 more. Just so, 48 more. That, that, um, there's actually, probably in Saeed's <laughs> tiny little Australian town, there's probably less people with the internet than 48. So he's going to have a job trying to convince yes. people. Uh, but uh, yeah, so if that does happen, by all means, we we'll, we'll send you the game of your choice. But uh, oh yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath. Okay, um, we are going to extend our fan art competition by one extra week because we are loving the entries so far. The ta- really good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the task is to make a piece of Digital Cowboys artwork, and the winner gets Tony's Guild Wars 2 art book, which is beautiful. It is beautiful. Next week. We've got on Jamie Cheng of Clay Entertainment for an interview about the game he's developing, one of the indie darlings of PAX this year. You've definitely heard us talking about it before. It's called Shank. We may also have our thoughts on the Eurogamer Expo currently going on in London. If you're listening to this on Friday or Saturday, it's, it's going on right now. Plus more reviews and maybe our thoughts on DJ Hero, Tony? Well, I'll be... Getting it, uh, well, it would have been yesterday time you listened to this podcast, so uh, <laughs> hopefully I'll be playing some of that, and I'm, I'm going to bring it around to your house as well, so you can, uh, we can both DJ, be DJs ourselves, That'd be awesome. bring a review next week, Video because it's, <laughs> once again, it's one of those products, that, you know, it's the cheapest version is £100, that's uh, the this cheapest time version of year. was 90 quid on, on Play or Amazon right now, but you can yeah, really but, trust no. the post. Uh, yeah, well, it'll be sent by parcel, but no, anyway, you you get the point. So it's uh, you really ought to know whether you're spending your well well worth spending your money or not. So, also, I believe we're guesting on Big Red Potion this week too. The uh, that's the uh, UGN podcast uh, affiliated with GamerDork. Uh, they've been on before, Sinan and Joe. Uh, they, they you know great little chat before. Uh, we were we're talking this week on their show, I believe, about Grand Theft Auto, which coincides quite neatly with the release of Gay Tony. So we'll make sure you guys not true. to that one. I'm just saying. <laughs> you're, you're not coming out online then, Tony. I, this could be a disaster of an episode. Yeah, so we'll make sure that you guys get a link to that site <laughs> as soon as it's up. Okay, so we will see you next week, which is looking pretty busy right now. Uh, somewhat. Yeah. God. Okay, see ev- or, uh, every one of you guys who's, uh, hey, this might be Saturday morning and you guys might be on the way to, to a Eurogamer in London to see us. So, uh, hello, preemptively. And remember, of course, on top of that, you can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Just go to the uh, link on the front of our website, uh, thedigitalcowboys.com. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, uh, it's uh, digitalcowboys at googlemail.com is the uh, email address. Or if you want info at digitalcowboys, at thedigitalcowboys.com. Well, the best place to find us during the week, of course, is the forums. See above thedigitalcowboys.com forward slash forums. Hey, not in the pattern there, the Digital Cowboys. Yeah, if you, if you just look up the Digital Cowboys, we'll be there somewhere. Also, we'll have Twitter. Uh, in the meantime, we'll see everyone else next week. And could we just say one final thank you to James Portnell for turning up? He was awesome. Thanks, James. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Tony Atkins. Happy trails. There is the blood. There is the love. There is the throng. To pull the sword and the legend is in my hand. For a blessing or for a curse. There will always be the rain, always be the rain. But there will always be the rain, always be the rain. And we are.
Even your name 